Today's community question is, how do we hang on to hope? Selected much earlier this week, but very relevant. And to speak to this question, we chose a psalm where the psalmist is wrestling with this same issue. Psalm 44. We have heard with our ears, O God, our ancestors have told us, what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own armies give them victory, but your right hand, your arm, the light of your countenance, for you delighted in them. You are my king and my God. You commanded victories for Jacob. Through you we vanquish our foes. Through you and your name we tread down our assailants. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and put to confusion those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Yet you have rejected us and abased us and have not gone out with our armies. You made us turn back from the foe that our enemies have taken spoil for themselves. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors and the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the words of the taunters and revilers, at the sight of my enemy and the avengers. And all this has come upon us, yet we haven't forgotten you or been false to your covenant, our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the haunts of jackals and covered us with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a strange God, would not God discover this? For God knows the secrets of the heart. Because of you, we are being killed all the day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake. Do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For we sink down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. May God bless our hearing and our understanding and our exploration of this portion of God's Word for us today. The church that I served in Vancouver, Washington, just north of Portland, starting about 1990, was a church a lot like this one, the sanctuary built right around the same time, but it didn't have stained glass windows, like we do, with various Christian symbols and themes from the history of the church on the walls. 
Instead, in that church, on the walls of the sanctuary, there were eight banners. And the eight banners represented the eight confessions in the Presbyterian Book of Confessions, the eight documents, the eight historical creeds or statements that sort of encapsulate what it is that the Reformed tradition stands for, what we believe, what we struggled with over time, theological issues, political issues, social issues. Right around here, there was the Nicene Creed banner with its green triangle representing the Trinity. A little farther back was the Scots Confession banner with its tartan cross reflecting its origins in Scotland. And then just about there in the back right-hand corner, as I remember, was the Barman Declaration banner. The Barman Declaration banner, if you've never seen it, is a swastika crossed out and a cross rising from the flames. The Barman, the Barman banner, of course, reminds us of the Barman Declaration from the 1930s in Germany, where some of the German churches got together to write a document, a statement in protest and resistance against the way that the German church was accommodating and allowing itself to be dominated by the Nazi regime then in power. Over the six years or so that I served in that church in Vancouver, quite a number, more than a dozen I would say, people came up to me from time to time and would tell me how much they disliked that banner. The rest of them were okay, but that one they did not like. Some people just said, well, it's ugly. Others said, well, it just looks violent. I don't like it. And others said, I don't like having a swastika in the sanctuary, even if it's X'd out. And to all of them, I would give some sort of mild response, like, well, you know, it's part of our history. It's important to remember what those who went before us struggled with. It's part of our heritage. It's something that we want to remember along with the older documents that came from ancient times. To remember that it's not been that long ago that churches were called upon to, to be brave and strong. One answered that at that time in 1990 or so that it did not occur to me to give people was, well, you know, white supremacy might reassert itself in our country in the next couple of decades, and it would be important for us to remember what our answer is supposed to be, which is no. Because who could have imagined in 1989 and 90, right at the time I was ordained, when the Berlin Wall was falling and the Soviet regime was crumbling, and apartheid was being dismantled in South Africa, and everything seemed so hopeful that we would be in this place in 2017. Except that we probably should have been able to imagine it because we are Presbyterians, and one thing that all of those documents have borne testimony to is that Presbyterians, folks in the Reformed Christian tradition, believe that evil is persistent that it never goes away for very long, that it is very, very resistant to our human good intentions and good thoughts, that evil is always reshaping itself, reforming itself, finding new ways and new forms with which to enter the world. 
Given this, given all this, how do we hang on to hope? Well, we did go back to the Psalms today, as we have at a couple of different points in this series, to remind ourselves that we're not the first ones to wrestle with this issue. Biblical scholars look at this psalm and they see, for one thing, this is the first communal lament in the book of Psalms. Psalm 44 is the first lament psalm that involves the whole community, not just an individual. And this community has somehow remembered God's promises in the past and is looking at some disaster, which biblical scholars aren't sure what it was, some disaster that has befallen them, and wondering, well, given God's faithfulness in the past, given that we are still doing our best, why has this disaster befallen us? Why is the world falling apart? Could it be that God is asleep? And so the last verses of the psalm. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awaken. Do not cast us off forever. <coughs> the psalm doesn't tell us how this particular story ended, but the witness of scripture does, and the witness of history. People are still showing up for church. The, communion of, the community of faith still exists. So, somehow, some way, the people in this psalm found a way to hang on to hope, to continue to walk in the path of God, to continue to be God's people, to continue to share God's love and faith and justice and peace with the world. Because if they had not, we would not be here. Somehow, the community of faith persevered and found a way to hang on to hope. The psalm doesn't tell us how they did that, what they found. But perhaps it was because they were good at remembering, because the psalm starts out with memory, remembering God's faithfulness in the past, that perhaps it occurred to them to look into their own history to see what it was that people had done in the past when God seemed to be asleep. And to remember that how people found hope in the, in the past was not so much because God suddenly woke up, but because people allied themselves with God, found the love and courage and strength of God within them, and acted with hope and with courage. People hung on to hope by acting in hopeful ways and courageous ways. Perhaps as they looked to their past, they remembered that somehow someone had to be the first person to step into the Red Sea as it began to part but not quite, trusting that God was with them. Perhaps they remembered that the army was discouraged until a shepherd boy named David came on the scene and said, what's going on? Let's do something about this oppression. Maybe they remembered Ruth, who in spite of all the evidence that the best thing for her to do was go home to her own family, nevertheless stayed with Naomi, her mother-in-law, went back to Bethlehem in the face of an uncertain future. Or maybe they remembered Elijah, who opened his mouth to speak truth to power during a time when the government was corrupt and had forgotten the importance of justice and peace. 
Perhaps they remembered that hope sprang forward in the past when people acted in hopeful ways, trusting in God's power and God's providence. And perhaps that is why we are all still here. And so perhaps we can remember that same thing. The Book of Confessions is not just doctrines and words on paper, it's the recollection of how people of faith throughout our history, in the middle of conflict and corruption and upheaval, found ways to act with courage and with hope. And though this is particularly, those confessions, part of the Reformed Christian tradition, that idea of looking to the past when God's people have acted with courage and with hope is helpful for all of us, I think. Certainly we can remember, again, the Barman Declaration in spite of its ugly banner in some people's estimation, and how the people in Germany acted with hope and faith in those churches to stand against the regime that was beginning to overtake their country, even at great cost to themselves. And we can also remember the Belhar Confession, which just this year, just in 2016, was adopted by the Presbyterian Church USA as one of its confessions in its book of confessions. It took a while because the Belhar Confession was first written in 1986 in South Africa as the churches there were wrestling with what to do and what to say in light of the church's enmeshment with the apartheid system in South Africa. And so some of the churches, some of the Christians there, began to come together and write a statement about what they believed God was calling them to be and to do, to change that system, to bring it down. And then, as I said last year at the General Assembly, the Presbyterian Church USA decided to adopt the Belhar Confession as one of our foundational documents as well. It's too long to read in full, but I am going to read just parts of it this morning. And if you're interested in reading the whole thing, just Google Belhar Confession and you can find it in a number of different languages. In 1986, in September, when it seemed that the apartheid regime in South Africa was stronger than ever, and that justice and peace would never prevail. Some of the churches and Christians in South Africa stated this. We believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who gathers, protects, and cares for the church through word and spirit. This God has done since the beginning of the world and will do to the end. We believe in one holy universal church, the communion of saints called from the entire human family. We believe then that unity is both a gift and an obligation for the Church of Jesus Christ, that through the work of God's Holy Spirit, it is a binding force, yet simultaneously a reality which must be earnestly pursued and sought one which the people of God must continually be built up to attain. This, this unity must become visible so that the world may believe that Christ has already conquered, 
the separation, enmity, and hatred between people and groups, which is sin. And that anything which threatens this unity may have no place in the church and must be resisted. They continued, we believe that any teaching which attempts to legitimate such forced separation by an appeal to the gospel and is not prepared to venture on the road of obedience and reconciliation, but rather out of prejudice, fear, selfishness, and unbelief, denies in advance the reconciling power of the good news must be considered ideology and false doctrine. They continue, we believe that God has revealed himself of the one, the one who wishes to bring about justice and true peace among people, and that the church must therefore stand by people in any form of suffering and need, which implies, among other things, that the church must witness against and strive against any form of injustice, so that justice may roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That the church, as the possession of God, must stand where the Lord stands, namely against injustice and with the wronged, that in following Christ, the church must witness against all the powerful and privileged who selfishly seek their own interests and thus to control and harm others. And therefore, as Christians, we reject any ideology which would legitimate forms of injustice and any doctrine which is unwilling to resist such an ideology in the name of the gospel. I looked on the internet to see if there was a banner for the Belhar Confession. I figured since we were adding this to our book of confessions, perhaps for people like the church back in Vancouver that had them on their walls, there would be now a new banner for the Belhar Confession. But I couldn't find one. It doesn't mean there isn't one, but I couldn't find it in my research. Then it occurred to me, well, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing that there's not a banner yet, because that means that we have to be the living banner that displays to the world what this confession means. We have to make it visible. We have to be out there in the world showing people that God's love is toward unity and against division and oppression or any system of domination or prejudice. We have to be the Belhar banner in this world. If we can do that, we will be in a long line of those who come before us, both through the Old Testament and the New Testament and through the history of people of faith who have hung on to hope by acting with faith and hope and courage and inspiring one another to stay faithful to the love of God poured into our hearts. Amen.